All right, y'all, we are back. And today we're going to talk about physical therapy. So one of the things that I love being able to do is provide education to parents about the different types of therapy that you might be seeking with your autistic child. And I think there can be a lot of confusion. And so I have a physical therapist with me here today, and we're going to dive into this topic so you can get more clarity about the type of strategies and types of things that physical therapy addresses. We're also going to make sure we touch on toe walking today. This is really, really common in autistic children and talk about how do we balance out accepting that the way that their body moves might be a little bit different than what we typically see in this aspect of neurodiversity and then also making sure that in terms of physically for their body that we aren't straining different areas. So that's what you can plan to expect on this episode. I have physical therapist Cynthia Huell with me today and I'm excited and we're going to dive into the episode shortly. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent. We dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now let's get to talking with Cynthia about physical therapy. Welcome, Cynthia. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here today. So let's start out and have you tell us a little bit about how you got into the space of physical therapy and became a therapist. So when I was young, I used to have a lot of injuries, a lot of ankle sprains, no broken bones, thank goodness. And I would go to physical therapists and I was really into sports at that time. And so he recommended like, hey, you should look into PT school. You get to work with athletes and help them recover. And I love that concept. So My initial thought going into physical therapy school was, I'm going to work with adults, sports, athletes. Eventually, I had a clinic, and they do a really good job in the schools of letting you see different fields. So I had a clinical that was working pediatrics with kids, and I absolutely loved working with kids that I switched from being all sports to working with kids, and then that brought me here. Awesome. Awesome. I know you made a recent transition from more the outpatient clinical side into the school. So tell us a little bit about your background working in the clinic as well as the school and just touching on, you know, if you've worked with autistic children or not. So in the clinic I was at previously, I was there for about two years. I definitely had a couple autistic children, some with Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, a bunch of different diagnoses. I worked in the clinic, but I also was virtual with some kids. And then I also went to some of their homes, some that parents couldn't bring them into the clinic. We would provide services at their house. And then now I've transitioned over to the school system. So it's a little bit different. It's a lot more equipment-based and a lot working with teachers, a whole IEP team, which consists of speech therapists, occupational therapists, doctors, whoever comes to the the IAP or whoever's part of that team. So it's definitely a different experience. That's awesome. And I love that you have the insight from both perspectives because what we often see with autistic children is through an IEP, they might qualify for PT in the school, but then sometimes parents are also wanting to supplement that with outpatient therapy 
Or maybe they don't qualify for PT services in school, but there's still a need there. So let's talk a little bit about why parents of autistic children would seek out PT. What are some of the common things that you have seen come up or areas that you can address and help provide solutions for? I definitely see children with autism have a little bit of toe walking. That's one common thing. Sometimes they have a weak core. They're not as physically active or they might want to stay at home more. They have different things, so they don't get as much exercise. That's my findings with children with autism. One thing I do have to say about the schools that's interesting is that they might not qualify because they're safe and they can access everything. But I can understand why parents would want to seek out physical therapy outside of that. Like you said, there's other things they can work on. And a lot of it's like core strength and toe walking and different things that we see in the clinics. What is a lack of core strength? How does that usually appear? How would a parent know, oh, my child's lacking core strength and I should seek out PT? One of the biggest signs would be W sitting, especially if they're younger and you notice that they're W sitting a lot. That's usually a sign of core strength. As kids get older, you can also tell by their posture. If they're sitting at their desk and they're hunched over and they're not really engaging their core, sometimes it looks like back pain. If your core is not strong, your back starts doing all the work. It's what holds you up is your core and your back muscles. So if one is not working, the other one's going to do more at work. So you start getting a little bit more back pain. That makes sense. And by W sitting, I'm pretty sure I know, but just in case parents don't, is that where they sit on their knees, but their legs are out to the side? Yeah. So if you look at them from the top, it literally looks like a W. That makes sense. Okay. So, so fascinating. Let's talk about more of the clinic side that you would be doing with kids. How are you working on these skills? It's tricky for sure. It's a lot of games that are fun. I know swings are huge for keeping core strength. Even if they're holding on, they're still getting a little bit of core strength. I'll slowly start trying to take away one hand. I'll give them a ball to hold so they're holding it while staying on the swing. And then I'll give them another ball to hold. And then they're staying on the swing without holding any balls. And then you'll see them just start crunching down. Maybe you'll put a basket in front of them and put, so they have to stretch and stay up. So it's a lot of tricking them games. I like to have them do a plank like on a big ball and then have them roll forward. So they're on their hands and their legs are up on the ball and they're trying to do a puzzle or they're putting something away or they're organizing the stuffed animals from cutest to ugliest, whatever it might be. I just try to make it fun for them. So that's what physical therapy looks like for working on core. Because if I was like, all right, we're doing 10 sit-ups, they're going to be like, no, I'm not going to do any sit-ups. This is so boring. So it's definitely a lot of making it fun and a lot of exercise. So, I mean, in some ways, it kind of seems like working with a personal trainer. And I don't mean this in a way to demean what you're doing, but how is it different than someone working with a personal trainer, for example? A lot of it can be similar, but I'm also looking at other things as well. And that's what's different with personal training. I'm also like their coordination. Let's work on that too. I will try to think of exercises that incorporate core and coordination. So they're doing both of those things. I think also a lot of support for the parents. I always say you see me once a week, but you see your kid every day. So just trying to get them to try to do some of the things at home as well and a lot of posture exercises. It is very similar, but I think it's just a different area that we're looking in. Absolutely. You also, a lot of people in your field have familiarity with autism too, which adds this unique layer. But I love the piece that you said about parental education. That's something that I am so huge on because 
we can only do so much in our sessions and a lot of the work comes outside of sessions. So let's talk a little bit. What are some of the things that you're recommending to parents outside of session? And also as you're talking about those things, if a parent is listening to this podcast right now and they want to try to start integrating some of this physical movement, is it something that they could start or is it recommended only to be under the supervision of a PT? Definitely something that can start if it's safe for them to do. I can't really think of too much that's not going to be too safe for them to do in regards to physical therapy exercises. But I would definitely recommend like if you start noticing their posture is not good at the desk and they're slashing over, you can try to use a ball instead, like one of those big yoga balls. And that's a lot of balancing and trying to stay upright while you're sitting on it. I see a lot of kids for toe walking. So sometimes it could be, let's put in a stretching protocol. Every day, let's try to do these stretches. Or for strengthening, I know kids with autism do well with routines. So sometimes I'll be like, all right, let's get an activity routine going for them and just organizing a little bit better. And sometimes that just helps a lot for the parents as well. Absolutely. And I think we underestimate the power of core strength and posture and all of that when it comes into play as your child ages, we end up spending much more time hunched over a desk, whether that's a computer or physically writing. I mean, I think it can affect so much of their learning and their ability to be able to get through the school day. Right. I just thought of a couple other things as well. Yeah. For W sitting, because that one's big. We do a lot of side sitting. So just readjusting their feet into side sitting. Like you said, if we underestimate the power of the core strength, if you find your kids hunching, sometimes it's even good to bring them to the floor, get them in a different sitting position and trying to get them to side sit and work on a project. So just changing their sitting environment, a lot of adjustments. Oh, that's awesome to think about. Yeah, and we are going to dive more into toe walking here shortly. I have two other thoughts. So one is early developmental milestones. So if we have a parent of a really young child, maybe your child's not even diagnosed as autistic yet, um, but we see motor delays quite commonly. So what age would you say parents can start seeking out PT if they have concerns about their child hitting those developmental milestones? I would say just good communication with the pediatrician and just being like, hey, I'm concerned. You'll have to say it's been almost two years, my kid's not walking, or a year and a half, my kid's not walking. Definitely, I know very common is when your kid's not bearing weight in their feet after a couple months of being born. Okay, like I'm holding them up, they're not bearing weight. That's a concern. So I think just really good communication of everything that you see and you're noticing and bringing that up to your pediatrician and they're going to be able to support you in that way. If you still have concerns that your pediatrician's like, oh no, we're going to just wait and see what happens. You can bring them to someone else and be like, hey, my last pediatrician says I should wait and see. But like, honestly, like this is just a little bit straight, something's off. Then hopefully they can direct you to PT or what they might need. Absolutely. All about that advocacy because pediatricians can be a great resource and sometimes not realizing what some of those really early concerns can look like. So don't be afraid to advocate. So this actually got me thinking about crawling. Let's talk about crawling for a second, because the CDC actually removed crawling as a developmental milestone, which blew my mind. In particular, one of the things we know from research is that autistic children often skip the crawling milestone. So I thought that was so fascinating that they just went and removed it. So talk about your thoughts in the CDC removing it, as well as why crawling is important, which I'm inserting yeah. my assumption here. I've learned from other PTs, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about it all. 
Yes, crawling is so important. Also surprise as well, because they're not just crawling. It's coordination. It's core strength. It's leg strength and bringing your leg up. You can crawl up a ramp and that's extra leg strength and a lot of arm strength. Weight bearing on your arms, putting weight near your hip. It is extremely important. Safety-wise, coming down the stairs, safety, crawling up the stairs. Yeah, I was very surprised. I think a lot of us in many fields were like, who did they consult? And there were pediatricians on the board, but it's interesting. They actually didn't consult the fields of PT, speech, OT, psychology. There might have been a couple psychologists, but I feel like those people that really know early developmental milestones, I could go off on a tangent, but they also like pushed back some milestones where as a provider, I'm really concerned if a kid isn't hitting some of those milestones too. And it was pretty surprising. And It was during COVID, so some of it was like, was this informed by COVID? But these things have been in the works many, many years before. So I was a little taken aback by some of them. For sure. Me too. I once worked with a psychologist. It was actually really cool during my clinical internship, which I did at Duke University. They had a lot of preemie babies. They had a specialized preemie unit. And then we were doing developmental assessments as follow-up. And one of the things that I learned, too, is that in utero, we start to even develop some of our core strength as the baby crunches because they lose space. And I just thought that was so cool to think about. And so that's why we see a lot of preemies have core issues and motor control issues. Right. I just think the core is the most important if you think about it. It's combining your upper body with your lower body. It's so underestimated of how important it is to work on that. And your back, it helps supports your back. Without core, your back is just, it's not going to be good. Absolutely. And going back to the crawling piece, that is the precursor too to more advanced skills. It's not just about the act of crawling. Like you said, it trains so many things, but it helps develop so much core strength then, which becomes important for walking. So I wouldn't be surprised, and I didn't want to quite go here yet, so I'll make a comment and then come back around to this, but I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if you've seen any research. If kids that skip the crawling milestone, do they tend to be more toe walkers because of that core strength? Because we see both highly common in autistic children. And so I wonder, and what I've learned about core strength and toe walking, I wonder if there is some connection there. Something else that just came to mind is I also used to personal train before PT school. So I had a personal training background. There's a lot of exercises, if you can recall, like bird dog, which is when you're on your hands and on your knees and you're switching your arms and legs. And there's planks when you're on your hands and your knee. Like like everything is kind of like crawl. We still do those same movements in exercise. Yeah, It's so important. Which I would say if a parent's listening to this and okay, the both of you clearly feel crawling is important. What I'd encourage you to do is actually talking to your pediatrician, but your pediatrician might not be that concerned about it. So this might be where you go get a PT consult to help make sure that your child has the proper muscle development and core development, even if they've skipped the crawling milestone or maybe you're going through it currently and you can actually work on crawling. Before we go to toe walking, let's go to talking about What are you currently doing in the school setting? And it varies so much state to state. But generally speaking, what can parents expect what PT might look like in the school setting? So I'm in California. So I'm working for the L.A. County. And 
in that school setting, what it, and it varies from school to school as well. But in that school setting, PT is there for safety and access. So that's where it becomes tricky. And it's a little hard for me because I moved from the clinic analyzing the whole child where I'm like, oh, we can work on this. We can work on coordination, strength, whatever it might be. But if they can access it safely in the school and they're safe, then I wouldn't see them. So that's where it's different, very different. And so their goals are more oriented towards safety and access. Give some examples of that. Sure. An example would be like a student will be able to go up and down 12 steps with minimal assistance to get to his classroom that's upstairs or to go up and down independently. Another one may be the student will be able to keep their head in midline. They may be in a wheelchair. So keep their head more centered to be able to participate in their classroom. And so the student will have stretching protocols given to the teacher by the therapist that is to be performed for 20 minutes every day. So those are just some goals, just as examples. It's just trying to keep the kids safe and allow them to engage and participate with other kids. And it becomes tricky too, because adapt the PE is very similar to PT. So sometimes the parents will be like, oh, but they can't play with their classmates. They don't have ball throwing skills. They can't pass the ball. They can't ride the bike. And so that's when we have to be like, okay, that's a little bit more like adaptive PE and they can work on that with your child. Mm. Oh, that's good to know. I actually didn't know that differentiation. I think it's interesting. This is true of IEPs in general versus outpatient therapy. And this is what can be hard is that the type of therapy and the reason your child gets that therapy access in school, it's going to be, are they impacted in the educational setting? Sometimes there are skills that you might be like, no, they need to work on it. They're behind in this area or they're hunching. But it's like, is your child still on task? Are they able to do the assignments? They might not actually qualify in school. And this is what's hard. I wish it wasn't like this because then all these different services that end up being needed where it's like, oh, my child might get PT in school, but I still have to go to PT outside of school to work on these other things. And I think that can be hard as a parent. And part of my job is just to inform you of those differences so you know when to seek out outpatient PT as part of your child's treatment plan. That's definitely tricky. It's hard for even us to be like, oh, this kid could benefit from PT so much. But if I make this goal and I introduce it, it's going to be hard to get that approved. Exactly. And it's so interesting. I think you'll find this fascinating. When I was graduating from college and it was the summer after college, I actually worked at this bike camp where it was for kids with special needs. And they learned how to ride bikes for the first time. And I would say the majority of kids were autistic or they had Down syndrome. And we see that it can be difficult for autistic kids to learn how to ride bikes because, again, it comes back to their core. If you take anything from this episode, your child's core strength is so, so important. But it was really cool because we had these adapted bikes where I almost think of it like a rolling pin would be the back wheel. And it started where the rolling pin was really flat, like you would see in the kitchen. So that created a lot of stability, but they're still learning how to move the bike, learning to pedal, all of that, slowly developing their core strength too. And over time, we'd start to switch it out where the ends would become more and more tapered on this rolling pin on the back. It wasn't literally a rolling pin, but and it become more tapered. So it started to become like a bike. And then eventually we'd put them on a normal bike and transition. And it was 
the coolest thing. We would do all of this in one week. And these kids, there was such a high success rate of them actually riding. At the time, I'll have to look up the organization, but at the time it was called Lose the Training Wheels. It was so much fun and so rewarding. And bikes are such a good way too for kids to be able to interact with one another with some of the mission behind it. I volunteer for an organization similar to that, but it's called AWOW and it's a walk on water and it helps kids surf. With this so very similar, but also surfing, a lot of core strength, trying to stand up and work on your balance. Yeah, it's definitely really rewarding to see them when they can do it by themselves. Oh, I love that so, so much. All right, we've been talking about toe walking and I keep saying we're going to talk about it. So now we are finally going to talk about it. So talk about what some of PT's approach to toe walking is and why it might be a concern and how it started to be addressed. Right. So typically when they start walking and six months later, that if they're consistently toe walking, that's when we're starting to be a little bit more alarmed. Mm. Because when, if they're instantly toe walking from when they start walking, they're trying to figure it out. But if that's a consistent thing, then that's when we're starting to want to refer out to PT after a year and six months. So once it's the PT, we work a lot on trying to encourage the feet flat, heel down. It could be a sensory it could be a neuropathic, like how they've learned to associate walking is from their brain, that it goes on their toes. It could be an ortho, so they have a shortening of their calf muscle, which will cause their foot to go straighter. So it really depends on the reasoning of why they're coming to us. But a lot of it, what I like to do is what works well for them. So if I have a kid who is autistic and I'm like, okay, we're going to sit here and we're going to stretch. That, that's usually not going to work. And they're going to fiddle out of it and run around. <laughs> that's my experience. I'm thinking of one kid that I work with where I was like, okay, we're just going to stretch. And then he's like, no, I want to jump on the trampoline and do my own thing. So I had to meet him where he's at. And I'm like, okay, we can jump. But then first I want us to go and we're going to work on our squats because you can't squat on your tippy toes. So mm. we're working on trying to get his heels down, going up ramps. as a lot of the things I would do going up ramps and coming back down the ramp, keeping the heel flat. A lot of cueing, education from parents. But to walking is a tricky one, to be honest, because you don't know where it originated from. It takes a little bit of research to find out this is the reason why they're toe walking. Sensory integration, different material might be strange to them. And so they're wanting to go on their tippy toes. So it's definitely mm-hmm. tricky. So is there potential harm for not correcting toe walking? Good question. So yes, not only... Kids bullying, I think that's a big one. But also back pain. It's most toe walkers don't have strong core. And I can think of twins that I used to work with, but one of them was a toe walker and the other one wasn't. And the toe walker could not do a single sit-up. And the other twin was able to do 20, pretty normal. So that's something that I've noticed that they do have a weak core. And everything we just talked about with the core, with the posture, with the back pain, that's something that could happen to walkers. And not only that, but also their balance is impaired. If you think about it, you're only putting your toes on the floor rather than having a flat foot. Yeah. So I've actually worked with kids before that have fractured their ankle because they've twisted it. And because they're on their toes and they didn't have great balance. Isn't there something too with the muscle? You're not fully developing like certain muscles and they'll shorten up or? Yes, yes. Your calf muscles start to shorten. I, I read something about your bones being a little bit different because you're putting weight on different bones than someone who is putting yeah. it on their flat foot. There's muscles that are shortening and 
that are lengthening. And so you have to work on trying to get those a little bit lengthened. And then the ones that are weaker, there it's just a little bit of imbalances going on that you have to look at. Yeah. So I want to comment because one of the aims of this podcast is really being neurodiversity affirming, understanding that autism doesn't mean something's wrong. It simply means, you know, it's a different way of thinking. And so one of the things in the autism community that's been talked a lot about is historically things like stimming would have been corrected and now we aren't correcting it because it's a form of regulation. And so I just want to comment here for a second about toe walking. So this is one of the things that you could make this argument that it kind of falls under that realm of stimming. Should we be correcting it from a neurodiversity affirming approach? And one of the things that I'd say to consider, though, because it might be like, oh, well, that's just my child's unique presentation of autism and of themselves. That's just how they are. And yes, that is absolutely true. And we want to be cognizant of this. But just like stimming, our line there is if there's anything that is potentially harmful, we do want to interrupt and work through that. And I think with hearing of some of the consequences of toe walking, this is one of the reasons that we do want to address it. So overall, and I would encourage anyone listening, if your child is a toe walker, to find a neurodiversity affirming therapist who's going to understand we're not trying to fix or cure symptoms of autism. And at the same time, we want to address toe walking because it does have that long-term structural effect. I also loved the point you made, Cynthia, about bullying. And that is a very real piece. And there's this balance here where the goal isn't for autistic children to basically fade into the neurotypical standards. We absolutely need to raise acceptance. And at the same time, a child being bullied for toe walking, it can be really hard to see and knowing there are things that we can do about it. Is this something that in your work has come up more of this neurodiversity affirming approach or is this something that is newer for you as I discuss that framework? That's an interesting question because I agree with everything you said, but I didn't know exactly that I would put the term neurodiversity in it. Yes, you should meet them where they're at, accept who they are. If I see a kid stem like super excited, I'm not going to be like, stop that. I agree with everything you said, but at least I haven't come across that exact label for that. And I think this is really, really common right. is that as providers, we don't get a lot of training on this, but it's been something really fun. I know as a psychologist, I didn't. And you're right. I was always willing to meet my patients where they were at. And this has been a place for me to unlock and really understand. And it's been such a fun learning experience. But traditionally, and I think this is for parents to know too, many providers aren't trained in this. That doesn't mean that they're not willing to work with you and use neurodiversity affirming approaches. But it might be new lingo for them, too. Within the last couple of years, it's been pretty new for me. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else as we're talking that you want to make sure when you think of PT that you would want parents to know? I know we really dove in today, but just to give you the final thoughts. One final thought I do want to say <laughs> is that research does show not just PT, but getting early services for your kid helps them in the long run. And so I don't want someone to try to do the whole wait and see approach. I know a lot of healthcare providers are not about that. And so I always am trying to be like, we don't want to do the wait and see because then we miss that valuable opportunity of teaching if we do that. It's interesting. I think there's a split in the field, right? That there's a lot of people that work with children and really are focused on early 
developmental milestones and all of that that are all about the early intervention piece. But parents hear wait and see quite a lot. And I always just tell parents to trust their gut, not be afraid to advocate for themselves and their child because they are the expert of their child. And if they're concerned, usually there's something that to be addressed there. You have a TikTok, right, that you post on? Yes, yeah. I put a lot of exercises and fun activities you can do with your kid. Oh, so awesome. So that will be such an awesome resource. What is the name of your TikTok? And I'll also make sure we link it in the show notes. Vita Kids Therapy. Okay, awesome. And how did you start doing that? I just saw that there wasn't that many videos on toe walking and just fun exercises from a PT to do with your kids. And so I just started making some videos. It's mostly me explaining like, hey, all you need is this and this, and this is what you can do. And it's just putting in a fun exercise together. I love that because reputable information from someone who yep. knows what they're talking about. And sometimes the other side of it is we talked about the wait and see side, but sometimes parents are advocating and then they're faced with super long wait lists. So I love that they can start working on these things at home. Right. All right, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Thank you for listening. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.